the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always an honor. Today is Tuesday, June the 30th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on June 30, 1971, the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 to three that the government could not prevent the New York Times or the Washington Post from publishing the Pentagon Papers. The Pentagon Papers, as you may recall, that was during the Vietnam era. Era, they were the they were actually the I think the title of them was something like Report of the Office of the Secretary of Defense, Vietnam Task Force, something like that. It was a long name, so they just became known as the Pentagon Papers. But anyway, the United States Department of Defense. It was <clears throat> it was the history that our country had kept on Vietnam and on our involvement in Vietnam from 1945 to 1967. Uh, Those papers and others did go ahead and publish a lot of that. It was uh, during a time not unlike our time today, where there was a lot, excuse me, that last drink of coffee. Oh, my. But it was, boy, it was good. Um, Anyway, it was a time not unlike our times today, perhaps as explosive as today is on the whole issue of Vietnam and war and all of that. So they published that and uh, people read it. It just added fuel to the fire and so on. More streets were clogged and buildings burned and people were standing. I don't know if they were tearing down statues so much during that episode, but they were standing on them to get attention. Anyway, that happened today, 1971. Today in 1857, Charles Dickens read from a new work that he had just completed. He thought it was pretty good. He was hoping that people would accept it. It was called A Christmas Carol. He read a part of it, not all of it, but he read at St. Martin's Hall. That was a place in London where people often did that. Uh, Poets and authors and different people would present a part of their work there. Didn't have television at that time in London. And, um, He was hoping it would be well-received. Well, obviously it was, because we're still reading it and seeing the movie and all kinds of things around Christmas time. A Christmas Carol was kind of born publicly today, 1857. Today in 1865, eight people, including Mary Surratt and Dr. Samuel Mudd, were convicted by a military commission of conspiring with John Wilkes Booth. He was the assassin of President Abraham Lincoln, Booth had injured himself, um, did he break his leg, something, when he was escaping after he had um, assassinated, had shot President uh, Lincoln. And um, he had gone, and and Dr. Mudd had helped him medically, had assisted him medically. In fact, uh, Booth, as I recall, had gone to his house, and Mary Surratt was involved in that, and several others were as well. Well, four of the defendants, including Surratt, were executed, but Dr. Mudd was sentenced to life in prison. However, he was pardoned by President Andrew Johnson in 1869, just four years later. So Johnson didn't 
think he should have served the rest of his life in prison. I'm not sure why he thought that, but he did. Today in 1934, Adolf Hitler launched his Blood Purge. That's what they called it. Political, military rivals in Germany were no more. He banished them, even in his own party. History history has called that particular time the Night of the Long Knives. I think we're living in a kind of a day of the long knives today, politically in America. Boy, I'll tell you. Today, in 1936, Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind was published. And in 2020, it was banished because it's racist. Today, in 1958, the U.S. Senate passed the Alaska Statehood Bill by a vote of 64 to 20. I'm not sure why the 20 that voted against it did so. Um, I guess they didn't realize how resource-rich Alaska was. They should have known it by 1958. But uh, for whatever reason, they didn't want Alaska to become a state. But 64 did. So Alaska is, as we all know, a state. Today, 1982, the proposed Equal Rights Amendment to the U.S. Constitution expired. I only mention this today because it failed even after to get the required number of ratifications for adoption, even after it had been extended by three years. Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalind, spent, they worked tirelessly to get that um, approved, get it ratified during his four years in office. Didn't happen. And it expired today, 1982. Today, 1986, the Supreme Court in Bowers versus Hardwick ruled five to four that states could outlaw homosexual acts between consulting adults. But the nation's highest court effectively reversed that decision in 2003 in Lawrence versus Texas. And today, in 1997, the Union Jack flag was lowered for the last time over Government House in Hong Kong. That's the British flag. As Britain prepared to hand the colony back to China at midnight after ruling it for 156 years. Hong Kong, as you probably know, is in chaos as well as our own country. They want freedom. They don't want to be under the heel of China. I think they would probably prefer to be under the under the soft glove of Britain, but they want independence. And so there's a lot going on over there as a result of that. It has not worked out well for China taking over. There's a um, there's a press release coming out of Bangor, Maine today. A church in Maine, it's a Calvary Chapel church, has filed the opening brief in the First Circuit Court of Appeals regarding Calvary Chapel of Bangor's appeal to the lawsuit that they filed against the governor, Janet Mills. They say that her actions are unconstitutional, her orders against churches are unconstitutional. Under the governor's orders, no religious gatherings are permitted including parking lot services. Now, as we all know, that's been going on across the country. It isn't just in Maine, but Calvary Chapel Church in Bangor decided to take this on. So they filed a lawsuit. The first, the opening brief was is today. Under the orders, the church, this church in particular, but it applies to all churches. It isn't just, this one is not singled out. They have become 
singled out by a result of their deciding to file a lawsuit. The country is watching this very closely. But under the orders, the church can hold meetings to feed, shelter, and provide social services to an unlimited number of people, but religious services are severely limited in the same building where non-religious services can be held. That's the case that they're making, and it's true. The governor is saying, the state is saying, you can have as many people in there as you want as long as you are feeding the hungry and passing out clothes and one thing or another. But if you have a religious service, it's banned. And that, I mean, whatever you think about churches having or not having services, boy, that that is troublesome, to say the least. Governor Mills has said that churches will only be allowed to meet in small numbers when she, these are her words, when she, when I am satisfied, when she is satisfied with the metrics and when that happens. When it happens, she will require churches to apply to reopen. Approved churches will then need to display a badge at the front door signifying they are open, approved to open. However, Governor Mills says that she doesn't have the process in place now to begin the approval process so nobody can see it, and there is no application that's been created for the churches to reopen. Even, does that affect you like it does me? Even the notion that churches would have to apply to open in America that was founded on religious freedom, really it was, and display a badge on the front of their door. This sounds like China to me. It makes me very uncomfortable. I understand this COVID. I'm over 40. I know who's most vulnerable to it. I get that. I do. And I think wisdom above all things is what God would have us to exercise. But I got to tell you, every time these people, I don't know anything about Mills. I don't even know what party she is. But it doesn't matter. The way she's approaching this is is not isolated. I see Inslee and, and Brown and other governors around the United States. I I just feel uneasy about the way this is handled, the way it's addressed. When the church is on the non-essential side of the page, it starts making me very nervous and a little bit upset. And it should all of us, because we're living in perilous times. And some of us have become so, especially our generation, those of us who are over 40 or 50 or whatever, we've become, our parents fought a war, our fathers and grandfathers in some cases fought a war a world war against tyranny and against aggression from Japan and Germany and wherever. And I got to tell you, this nation was founded on the whole idea of freedom, particularly religious freedom that is birthed not out of government, but out of God himself. God is is the giver of liberty. And if we are somehow marginalizing and making non essential the church of the living God, the Christian church, then we have a problem. And there is a problem. And there are people who either ignorantly or purposefully, and I don't know their heart, but take every opportunity to undermine the value 
of the Christian church in the culture, in our culture, a culture that is unique, uniquely blessed by God, prosperous, a culture that is unequaled in human history. And because the reason it is, is because of the church of Jesus Christ and the message of God's word, the Bible. Every leader, every president from the beginning of this nation until recent times has acknowledged in some way the importance of the Bible, the importance of the word of God, the importance of God's truth infused into our world and into our circumstances here, and into our nation and our communities, whether or not they were Christian. So I see this, when I see this seeping out, this cesspool of of anti-church sentiments, and I, I know it's all couched in the idea of we want to keep the old people from dying of COVID. I, I understand that. I don't want any old people to die of COVID. I get that, or young people, or anybody. I get that. But I got to tell you, there's there's a whole there's a whole thing, just a nuance about all of this that makes me real nervous. And these kinds of things make me nervous. But I don't get too nervous because I'll tell you something, and I know some of you are too because you write and tell me you are. This bothers you. I'm glad it bothers us. If we weren't bothered by these kinds of things, that would be a that would be a real warning note, but don't be too bothered because, as I have often said, and will continue to as long as God gives me breath and you support this ministry and I can turn on the microphone in the morning, I will tell you that God is in control because he is. He is in control. He was in control in Paul's day, and he's in control now. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, the Thessalonica, he said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16, it was kind of a benediction. He said, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, in every way. The Lord be with you all. I would say that to you today, not on the authority of me, but on the authority of God's word. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, in every way. The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you all. Isaiah was talking to the people of God long before Paul came along. He wrote often in his chapters, as we know them, the book of Isaiah, a couple of verses that I'm very aware of in Isaiah, chapter 32, verses 17 and 18. He's talking to the people of God, the Hebrew nation, but he's talking to us as well today. He said, the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. My people will dwell in peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. That was a prophecy of his time that would later come. But he speaks to us today as well. And as we pursue righteousness and as we commit ourselves to God, and as we keep it in, a, in the very forefront of our mind, when we keep the fact that God is in control, God is a sovereign God. God isn't something that was created by some group of people at some point, like all the other religions are. Muhammad is dead, Buddha is dead, they're all gone. 
There's only one true and living God, and that is the God of the Bible, Almighty God himself, the creator of all things. And when we recognize that, there is in that recognition, in that belief, there is the work of righteousness. And that manifests itself in our hearts and lives as peace. That is the effect of righteousness. Not that we are righteous. Some of us are self-righteous, but not that we are righteous, but we become righteous as we come into that relationship with God. There's quietness. There's assurance forever. And outside of that, there is chaos in our world today. But we have that. God's people dwell in a peaceful habitation. So wherever you are today, whatever, you know, you're driving, sitting, drinking your coffee that I was drinking a few moments ago of my own, whatever you're doing, you're in, in a sense, you're in a secure dwelling, in a quiet resting place because of God and because of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have one, You better get it, because ultimately, if you carry the burden of what's going on in our culture today on your own strength, it will break you. And you'll meet a God who will say, I don't know you at the end of your life. I would encourage you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and come into that peace and quiet resting place that we all need in this culture I want to thank you for your support of this ministry. Wouldn't be here without it. And we need it. These are difficult times, challenging times. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. The cry of the mob. We hear it on the streets. We hear it wherever we go. We see it on the news when we turn it on and look at it. And by the way, we can remain in that place of quiet rest in God and be informed as to what's going on in our culture. We don't have to be choose between being at peace or uninformed because Satan would have you to decide not to be informed because God's people are destroyed for lack of knowledge we got to be knowledgeable about what's going on. God would have us to be, because how are we going to be light and salt in the world if we are not informed, if we don't even know what's going on? A lot of people choose to do that. They just kind of hunker down in a kind of a psychological cave somewhere. They don't want to know what's going on. I don't want to hear this. I mean, there's times when you need to take a break, and I don't think we should be watching the news 24-7, because that will drive you crazy, because most of it, a lot of it, is a lie. Or it's certainly skewed toward an untruth. But we need to be informed. We need to know what's going on. On a daily basis, we see these scenes of lawless mobs tearing down statues, defacing monuments, buildings on every side being painted and burned. And I mean, it's going on. For a long time, the, the local news would report, they would say, well, there's another peaceful demonstration going on in downtown Seattle or Portland or Los Angeles or New York or whatever. They, are all, they were all saying the same words. There's a peaceful gem. We, we underscore it's peaceful. It's not peaceful. It's rebellion, and then it turns into destruction. 
I mean, the pattern's the same, night after night after night. And some of the some of the cities have mayors that, I mean, you wonder how they got to where they are. They stand up and they say, we need to dialogue about this. Seattle is an outstanding example of that. These people are running the streets, burning, painting, destroying, killing in some cases, honestly. Their demands abolish the police, the prisons. Now they're including Amazon. They want Amazon abolished. Yeah, that Amazon that sends you stuff in the mail, Jeff Bezos. He's the richest man in the world, but I don't know if he's smart on every front. Clearly, he knows how to retail. I mean, he's built something unlike anything the world has ever seen in Amazon. But the United States has become the international target of these radicals because whether we like it or not, it's the pinnacle of Western prosperity and strength. God has blessed America. We all know that. We recognize that. Jeff Bezos, I think he likes the fact that we've been blessed, whether he knows the blesser or not. I don't get the feeling he does, but he is the richest man in the world. To be clear, I'm not a fan of Jeff Bezos, personally, on many levels. But to be even more clear, I'm pretty certain that he doesn't he couldn't care less what I think of him. And he doesn't know me anyway, so but I, I I don't but I want to use him as an example because he is an example right now. The lawless mobs have pivoted from bringing down statues and monuments and or, uh, statues and monuments and buildings that they don't like. Now they've pivoted to real people. Sunday, day before yesterday, the mob placed a guillotine in front of Bezos' home. He has homes in in Seattle, of course, and he has them in, I don't know, he has one in Washington, D.C., because that was in the news. Saw the pictures. I don't know where else. But anyway, it wasn't the Seattle home. It was the Washington, D.C. home. But they placed this guillotine in front of his uh, D.C. home. They were not saying, but they were suggesting that it should be used on him. They were outside his house chanting, Abolish the police, abolish prisons, abolish Amazon, (laughs) of all things. So uh, at this recent Juneteenth, which is the celebration of the anniversary of when the, the troops came to Texas, and that was the last place in America that didn't know the Civil War was over and the slaves had been emancipated, and that holiday has suddenly become like, you know, like Christmas, and Easter, um, they call it Juneteenth. And um, he he made a statement to all of the employees of Amazon on that day. And I, I, I saw the statement in the news, and I wondered if that was really an effective thing to say. But, I mean, who am I to question? So, But anyway, he said that he encouraged all of the employees of Amazon to re, to. He said, well, he said, I'm canceling all my meetings on Friday. This is exactly what he said. I'm canceling all my meetings on Friday, Juneteenth. That was last week, I think. And uh, I encourage you to do the same if you can, to reflect on the issues. While some companies gave their employees a paid day off, Bezos is requesting that warehouse workers wear black to acknowledge the day. Adrian Williams, she's a black contract driver for Amazon in the Bay Area, she said what probably thousands of those employees are saying and were saying. She said, what does a black shirt have to do with anybody in terms of social justice? 
<clears throat> she said, if you really wanted to do something for the employees, why don't they pay us more money? <clears throat> Suggesting to a mob mentality that they wear a black uh, T-shirt and they reflect on the issues of our time is about as smart as Seattle's Mayor Durkin suggesting the mob peacefully vacate Capitol Hill. So what does the mob really work? Well, they worked up this logo, and I put a part of this <clears throat> in an article that I wrote today. It's faithandfreedom.us. Abolish the present, reconstruct our future. That's the theme going forward of this mob called Black Lives Matter. It isn't Black Lives Matter. It's a whole bunch of things, but they're all folded in to Black Lives Matter. They say they want to abolish the present, reconstruct our future. What's being targeted, of course, is the long history of ideas and institutions created and developed in the West. State-run education has set the stage for the current events. Last August, the New York Post published an article that revealed that Black Lives Matter has become the progressive left's primary vehicle for anti-racist activism. Now, through the efforts of activist teachers, Black Lives Matter is moving beyond streets. This was a year ago, in August, a year ago next month, or month after this, in this coming August. They've moved beyond the streets to establish growing presence in the nation's public schools. The New York Post published last summer, in August, they said this, I'm quoting them, The initiative began in Seattle, Washington where teachers organized a Black Lives Matter at School Day in October of 2016. News of the event spread. The NEA, the National Education Association, adopted a resolution of endorsement. The BLM at School Day became the BLM at School National Week of Action to be held annually to set the tone for the Black History Month in February. The Post concluded, however, with what then was a prediction, but now we know it as a reality. The Post said after a serious review of the curriculum noted that all the kids will never be encouraged to inquire about the absolute numbers of shootings of police compared to the numbers shootings of criminal and all of the data that's out there. They said this has given them no hope. The New York Post said a year ago the dogmatism is itself deplorable. But what is worse of all is the BLM pedagogy is demoralizing and its effect likely to ensue from it. There will be consequences, they said. What are the young students of color to infer from the teaching that they are subjects of a pervasive, radicalized depotism? Black Lives Matter pedagogues, they said, want them to infer is that the resistance is the only thing they have and that everything else has been lost. What students are left with is a doctrine of utter futility and hopelessness. The teaching is both false and grossly irresponsible. The key to liberty and happiness lies not in perpetuated opposition, but in cultivating the virtues of mind, heart, and character. And I'll leave you with this. That's exactly what's going on in our world today, and it's because the church has been silent. We, the church of Jesus Christ, of the living Christ, we are the voice that is supposed to be speaking to the culture And we are supposed to be giving people hope, virtues of mind and heart and character. And all of that comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet that has been lost under the guise of, well, I don't think the church should be involved in politics. 
We need to pray about this, and we need to awaken ourselves to our times and the challenges of our times. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you tomorrow.